With the news media reporting increasingly more data breaches and cybersecurity events, and the use of personal data in ways that invade people's privacy, you need to know how to keep your business's data, not to mention your own personal data, safe from hacks and your business operating in the most secure environment. Otherwise, this can not only hurt your business reputation, it can cost you clients. Welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. We're here to help you prevent potential damages and losses before the hackers even have your number. Now, here is the Privacy Professor and your host, Rebecca Harold. Hello and welcome to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. I'm Rebecca Harold, your host. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to the 110th episode of my show. Please subscribe to my show on iTunes, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, or whatever your favorite podcast or news app is. Also, please subscribe to my show on the Voice America Business Channel website, so then you will be notified just as soon as each new show is available. Thank you to all my listeners everywhere in the world. I sincerely appreciate you listening in all of the now 77 plus countries where you are located. Thank you for sending your messages too. Please keep them coming. I love getting them. My April Privacy Professor Tips message was published on March 31st. You can sign up for them by going to privacysecuritybrainiacs.com and submitting your email in the box on your screen. And they are free, just as they've always been since 2005. We have a great show ahead today. Well, I always think we have great shows, and we do. (laughs) And this one is another one very timely. You know, the hype and quick adoption for using new types of artificial intelligence or AI has exploded throughout the past three years. Linza is an app that takes real photos and uses AI to make art images from them. Millions have used it. Others are concerned about the related privacy and intellectual property rights problems it creates. Linza uses a huge open source collection of data to train its AI from a nonprofit called Lion. Lion has more than 5 billion publicly accessible images that it categorizes as research. However, it not only includes copyrighted work, but also personal medical records and images as well as really disturbing Images of violence and sexual abuse and assault. I've seen a lot of those images. They are horrific. So this AI tool is creating privacy, copyright, and other types of intellectual property rights problems and legal and compliance concerns. In January of 2023, a different popular AI tool, ChatGPT, surpassed 100 million users. ChatGPT is creating a large and growing number of concerns about security, privacy, intellectual property, and legal risks. 
per the very recent IAPP privacy and AI governance report, the use of AI is predicted to grow more than 25% each year for the next five years, and it's estimated that it could contribute over $15 trillion to the global economy by 2030. But who is ensuring the AI algorithms are secure? Who is ensuring the AI algorithms are accurate? What happens if someone's assault photos show up incorporated in some way into an AI-generated image? What are other privacy risks? What are other security risks? Many questions need to be answered about AI. Well, I'm speaking with the perfect person about this today. Today, I'm speaking with Pamela Gupta, CEO of Trusted AI and an AI expert who has over 25 years of experience in addition to being the founder and CEO of an artificial intelligence business, Pamela has published many reports about AI security and privacy, including holistic approach for AI ethics, harms of emotive AI, and AI regulations, a technology and governance view on algorithmic failures in our world now and how to put guardrails for AI for a holistic approach. You can see more about Pamela in her bio on my business, on my uh, website that talks about this show. Pamela, thank you so much for being my guest today. Welcome to my show. Rebecca, thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here and talking to an expert like you on privacy. So I'm really honored to be here. Thank you. Well, I appreciate you taking the time out because you must be just so busy. This is such a hot topic. Before we get into the issues, though, I'm just so curious. What interested you in artificial intelligence and motivated you to build a business specific to AI? So um, I'll I'll take the um, I'll give you the short and the long answer. And the long answer is I came to this country from India. Uh, to do a master's in artificial intelligence because at that time they were not offering one in India in uh, any um, formal education in AI. So that kind of shows you mm-hmm. um, my passion for AI runs deep and and far, right, for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, my undergrad was in psychology, and so I ended up doing a master's in psychology and AI. And fast forward to my career, which happened to be in cybersecurity because there weren't any real applications of AI at the time. The only thing that we were seeing 25 years ago in AI was more around expert systems, et cetera. So I created a product for designing an expert system for uh, designing smart houses because, and I won't go into much into that, but just enough to tell you that I've had some practical experience in creating an AI product as long as far as 25 years ago and happened to get into programming and into network security and into security and then uh, cybersecurity risk management. 
in some some of the largest companies that um, you know are household names that we may be using products as we speak of. Mm-hmm. Uh, so very uh, you know legally uh, complex environment, operationally complex environments. So fast forward to your question as to why start a company in AI now and what what is it? Mm-hmm. What drew me into that? Um, combining these two things together, my love for AI as well as my experience in a very business-centric corporate America where, you know, it's driven by uh, business value. And you just mentioned even, uh, you know, the some of the metrics and the projections mm-hmm. around what we can expect to get from AI and how we can monetize on that. Um, it was a bit of a proactive and a strategic move to take a look at combining the love of AI, combining the experience in business psychology, which is, it's very much driven corporate America and corporate, um, you know, existence of companies around the world is driven by what is the bottom line, right? What is going to be profitable? How do we maximize on the um, value? If you put the two together and you take something such as artificial intelligence, which is not a regular system, mm-hmm. in, and I'll go into a little bit more into that later, but it has a l- immense, immense promise. However, because it is so complex, as you know, that is in uh, antithesis of security and risk, right? Mm-hmm. The more complex something is, the more the risk rises and the more uncertainty uh, rises around it. So when I started taking a look at what, how are we going to skin this cat? How are we going to secure AI? I realized that, A, if you do a search on the internet, for example, five years ago, and you look for AI security, the first thing that you would see millions of hits on how to use AI for security, but not enough or any, in fact, at that time, on how to secure AI. How do we make these systems secure? And yet we are banking so much of our hopes on it because it does hold immense promise. So taking a look at, taking stock of what I have been doing in the corporate America, right? Managing risk, I realized that at a global level, we are really looking at a very um, uncertain state for creating these systems which are extremely high impact and not putting uh, enough into enough thought into how are we going to secure these things. Mm-hmm. So one thing led to more research and then to another. And I quickly realized that when we are talking about securing AI, security, cybersecurity is not going to be enough to secure AI. I know that sounds like a... Um, contradiction. But I'll, I'll, you know, go into that if you're interested, um, uh, Rebecca. But it, it might, just to conclude on that thought, though, mm-hmm. cybersecurity is not enough for securing AI outcomes. And one thing that you'll see on my website, for example, which barely, uh, basically lays, lays out my vision of what AI security would encompass for a society in general, right? Mm-hmm. And that is, risk-based approach to approaching 
um, security in AI and what do we need? So that led to kind of creating a, a business offering around this. And one of uh, my biggest mantras and the only mantra for the last four years has been cybersecurity is not enough to secure AI. So what else do we need? What we need is trust. And I defined a framework for what that would look like for um, um, AI, trustworthy AI or trusted AI. And I, there is a nuance there between trustworthy AI is not exactly the same as trusted AI. Mm -hmm. And we can talk about that later as well. But that, that's what led to this, um, this journey. You know, you made some some comments. I think I want to uh, repeat because I think it's important for our listeners to understand that um, AI is not new. AI has been around a long time. It's been evolving, right? It's being it's been evolving. But what what it always strikes me as as rather curious to say the least is that it's something that has been around for a long time, but it has not really been addressed from the cybersecurity and privacy point of view. And I observe and, uh, you know, it seems like just how quickly some people jump on the AI bandwagon and start using products without really ensuring that they give accurate results is that when they hear artificial intelligence, they just assume that they work correctly which is really, you know, worrisome to me. And obviously it is to you too, because you, you created a business around this, making sure they're trusted. And I want to touch upon current AI tools um, sure. that are very hot and, and, and they're being widely used. I mean, it's just, it's just so interesting to me to see people, even folks who are cybersecurity pros and even privacy pros, um, are are using them and utilizing them within their actual work in ways uh, that I think are a little bit risky, like like Chat GPT for writing and and Linza for images that I mentioned earlier, and other types of AI. And I've I've even seen you know people advertising in those areas about how they can help you do fractional consulting to cut the time that it takes to respond to potential clients. So and that's just touching the tip of the iceberg. But Pamela, what have you seen as being security and privacy risk and, and potential impacts with these current hot tools that are being so widely used? Yeah, so uh, I think, like I mentioned, this is not uh, the same as, you know, it is an exciting new time it's it, you know there's a lot of potential and promise and, and 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 don't get me wrong i'm as excited about chat gpt 4 and 3 as the next person but um what i do want to say is yes we we want to get the value out of ai right these are not new and what to answer your question what is the risk around what is the cybersecurity risk what is the privacy risk and in addition to that, what else do we need to think about around managing the risk if we truly want to get the value? So one thing I, uh, you'll see even on the website is if we want intended outcomes from AI, 
we have to build trust into that. And what do we need? Well, what do I mean by trust? So, Rebecca, I um, I will answer your question about what are the cybersecurity risks and privacy risks. But let me just tell you, if uh, if you are okay with that, as to what I think are the essential elements or pillars of trustworthy AI. Um, sure. If you want me to come back to that uh, at a later point, that's fine too. Uh, yeah, no, you, you can know. talk about that, and then I think after that, then we can maybe you can use some of these um, real-world examples then to show how sure. your pillars would be used. Okay, so the the I, I devised eight pillars. Okay, and by the way, the NIST came out with a risk management framework uh, this year. Um, and I had created this framework four years ago based on my practical knowledge of creating risk-based programs and my kind of my um, uh, views on, uh, you know, the resistance I've met through through the years because uh, obviously business is always focused on how to create value, how to get something up and running and out the door as opposed to, you know, and that's why they have risk professionals in the in the mix. Um, so I created this tips, it's called a tips model, okay. I created an AI tips model for operationalizing governance and making it so that we are actually building or deploying or acquiring systems, AI systems with trust. And what is trust? Why is cybersecurity not enough, for example? Mm-hmm. So I'll give you a, 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 what the pillars are and I'll tell you why cybersecurity and privacy both are not enough for creating this uh, intended outcome. After all, what do we, if we peel back the onion and see what are our objectives, right? How do we want to benefit from, let's say even chat GPT, right? Because it's on everybody's mind and it's, yeah. it's like, you know, so let's, let's talk about that. Mm-hmm. So first, what are the pillars and why trustworthy AI? So the pillars are cybersecurity, number one, mm-hmm. and privacy, those and ethics and transparency. As you are building out AI program or a um, pro, um, product or buying one, those are fundamental. And I will tell you, uh, I, I won't go more much more into detail because you know each one is a uh, going to be a long. Um, area of expertise and you know we'll have some depth mm-hmm. uh, in addition to that is four more pillars which is on the more on the periphery okay so you think about i know it's a podcast but picture close your eyes and if you just picture the um the inside uh, two circles on the inside is security privacy ethics transparency as you're building it out in the outer circle is explainability, regulations, uh, audit, auditability and audit, as well as accountability. So those are kind of the governance things looking in and the basic foundation has to have cybersecurity and privacy and ethics and transparency. So let us let me give you an example of what cybersecurity for an artificial intelligence system, oh, by the way, um, AI is more than just, you know, machine learning. When we're talking about chat GPT and these transformers, uh, for example, that's machine learn based natural language processing, which are two different types of AI systems, so to speak, right? They're coming together in here. Um, there are, there's robotics, there's uh, computer vision, 
there is, um, you know, there there uh, four or five main different types of AI. But I'm just going to be focused on, you know, these transformers, let's say, right, because that's top of mind for everyone. Of mm-hmm. How do we use these suckers and get value out of it, right? Mm-hmm. So let's, let me approach that. So taking these eight pillars, and and by the way, um, NIST has its risk management framework, which you know is is published now. People can take a look at it. But the what I like about the approach I have taken is the fact that it is actionable and it is based on uh, practical, you know, uh, knowledge and the um, practical scars that I've gotten as trying to get people and organizations to adopt sound cybersecurity practices or risk management practices, okay? Mm-hmm. So cybersecurity, um, what does it even entail for a machine learning system? If you do a threat model, because if you're doing a risk management exercise and you're trying to take a look at what, where is your risk coming from, uh, you would start with a risk assessment, correct? Mm-hmm. Um, when you do the risk assessment, you take a look at what is the business operating environment, um, what is their risk appetite? And then as you're rolling out, looking at the systems, do a threat model, correct? Now, when you do a security threat model for a setting up an e-commerce system, for example, even that we haven't, you know, companies are not following through and, and that can be really complex because cybersecurity is a very complex area. And I, I think of privacy as an essential, um, you know, cyber, what is cybersecurity? It's confidentiality, integrity, and availability. That's the tripod stool it stands on. Mm-hmm. Now, I would add, I done a talk on um, Bright Talk. It was two years ago talking about what are the essential pillars of cybersecurity in AI, of creating cybersecurity-based uh, AI system. And had said there is a fourth pillar, and that's privacy. Privacy is a very, very key component of creating artificial intelligence systems, and especially machine learning systems. And so I would say they're even more tied to the hip, um, security and privacy, than in conventional systems. So going back to e-commerce system, you know, there is, you have to um, secure and have Privacy and security in the infrastructure, in the you know the software and the hardware and the and the entire uh, flow of process, right? To for example, when you do that for something like an artificial intelligence system, now looking at how these systems function and how they um, how they are built, there is really it's it's an apples to pumpkin comparison all right it's not even in the same ballpark and why is that because the way these systems learn for example is through training and through data that has been presented and what you know the training set is and um you know and it is um obviously that's where the bias comes in from because most of uh, and you know when you hear of AI today and the rest, the first thing you'll probably have heard of people talking about is ethics, correct? Mm-hmm. Okay, I say ethics is one of the pillars, is not the only thing that we should be looking at when it comes to AI. 
So when you are talking about securing a holistic approach of risk and security and even privacy, just security and privacy of an AI system, we are going to be taking a look at you know the fact how do you how do these system function and like I said it uh, one of the things is you're not trans you're not putting in if then else code saying if there is a condition A then um, you know if there um, five digits in a credit card being entered number being entered then it is false because uh, it's in, incomplete because there are sixteen digits in a credit card. You know, something really, really simple, just just hypothetical. Mm-hmm. But in our in our AI system, the way it learns is you have to feed it the right data for it to recognize that a, yes, this is a credit card uh, number, for example. Okay, or to be getting more and more complex, you know, to you to feed it the data. It, you know, when you look at ChatGPT, for example, what's going on here is, and I'll give you an example of you know one of the. Uh, uh, Things that made history, uh, I mean, made news in February was when ChatGPT, for example, went completely off the rails, right, and started mm-hmm. um, yes. just talking nonsense to a um, somebody on Reddit, for example. And that's an example uh, that's, I'm, I'm not going to go into it because it's a bit negative, but the point is, it's uh, you're feeding in data. That's how these systems are learning. So if you're feeding in data that is biased, that's one component that can go wrong. But the other is the algorithm, right? Mm-hmm. So they have data and then they have algorithms. And that's what the comprises an artificial intelligence machine learning system. Algorithms also have the propensity, can have the propensity to be um, making assumptions and, and feeding in that bias or feeding in or, or pulling in things that are uh, can contribute to that negative consequence of what you don't want, let's say, as a business, okay, or as a person even. So in this case, in ChatGPT, we're talking about large language. It's a large language model, and it's a transformer, means it's not just taking in the input and outputting it, right? It yes. is taking that input and is applying natural language processing to it as well as transformational aspect which the transformational aspect being that it's going to look at what similar data and instances it has that it can feed back to the user yes let's let's stop here at this point because we have a break that we have to get to right now but when we come back let's continue this pamela and uh then we can also talk about maybe chat gpt is an example some of the weird things coming out of it too so right now it's time for a quick break to hear from our sponsors today i'm speaking with pamela gupta ceo of trusted ai and an and an ai expert i'm your host rebecca harold the privacy professor contact me with questions and comments about this show as well as show topic suggestions using my email rebecca harold at RebeccaHerald.com, and also through my privacy security brainiacs.com website please stay with us we will be right back after these important messages from my sponsors Follow 
Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. The Privacy Professor is your trusted source for effective information security, privacy and compliance advice, compliance tools, education, consulting, expert witness services, research, report writing, and board positions. Visit us online at privacyguidance.com. Rebecca also provides keynote speeches and her free Privacy Professor monthly tips messages she has published since 2007. Visit privacyguidance.com for help and answers to your questions. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. The Privacy Security Brainiacs team wants everyone responsible for security, privacy, and compliance to stay up to date with the latest news, risks, and security and privacy practices. Check out their growing library of topics not offered by others. Privacy Security Brainiacs also wants every business to perform automated risk assessments, which are free or value-priced for all types of security and privacy topics. You need to find out more about Privacy Security Brainiacs. Visit PrivacySecurityBrainiacs.com. You are listening to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor. If you have a question or comment about the program, feel free to send an email to Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. That's Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. Now, back to data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor. Welcome back to Data Security and Privacy with the Privacy Professor on Voice America's Business Channel. I'm your host, Rebecca Harold. Today, I'm speaking with Pamela Gupta, CEO of Trusted AI and an AI expert. And before we went to break, Pamela was explaining two very important issues, factors, if you will, about having AI that is accurate and trusted. So they are the algorithms and they are the data. And, you know, Pamela, one of the things with chat GPT, and this happened just yesterday with one of my business friends, um, he was talking about how he asked Chat GPT to write an essay about his career, and it spit out this very well-written um, description of his career, but there was very little about it, his career that was correct. <laughs> I mean, they actually had him working at organizations he had never worked at and never even, you know, talked to anybody from. And and it had him working there for years. And then it had, for another friend of mine, it said that they had um, invented a certain type of security uh, tool and they never had. And even with me, I asked it to write a short essay about my career five different times. And each of those times it wrote a completely different summary and some of the stuff they wrote about me wasn't there either so as you were talking about the algorithms and the data I'm thinking wow what data are they using I mean it must be just full of of errors and if they're getting it they're calling it open source but if it's publicly available data of course there's a lot of erroneous data that's out there publicly available and then what about the algorithms 
So I guess from your viewpoint, when you hear about these situations, what do you think of if, if this was being a tool that a business would want to use, what would you say to that business to help them determine, you know, maybe why the results are incorrect and why uh, maybe the data that they're using is not a good data set to use? Yes. Uh, so, uh, thank you. A couple of things there in terms mm-hmm. of what is the what is the value that one can expect to get out of this mm-hmm. and the risks. And then let me take a, uh, talk a little bit about the data. You'd asked about what is the data that they're training on. Mm-hmm. For something like a large language model, the problem is there is Im- immense, immense, immense volume of data that they have to feed it because just for the sheer number of uh, parameters that uh, they are uh, chat gpt has for example mm-hmm. so where did they train it on it was trained on uh, this uh, common crawl data set and 60 percent of, of it it was which is uh, basically just scraping the uh, internet right yeah and so so you can imagine if there is good data out there, it's got it. If it's bad data out there, it'll have that. Mm-hmm. And because it has so much, there is just the proportion is so large. It's very, very um, problematic from a security and a pro- uh, pro- privacy perspective as to what is the data lineage? Where is it coming from? Whose data is it? All those exist. To your point earlier about Lensa, in addition to, is this good data? Meaning, forget even copyright, right? Even if mm-hmm. this is, like, forget it. Forget that part of it, right? Even mm-hmm. if you're not talking about intellectual property preservation. But is this data that should be consumed and regurgitated and, you know, built into a bigger, bigger, um, bigger and bigger, bigger model or a cloud and shoved it back? Is that... Uh, something that we uh, are okay with, right? I mean, that's not that's not an answer for you or me, even, right? It's an answer. For, it's a question for a society in general. I mean, are yes. we? You know, uh, what uh, this is uh, kind of disturbing from a couple of different perspectives. There, right there. Mm-hmm. But then, I mean, okay. So, what what is going on, right? I mean, why is this making up things? Because it's a large language model, it means it's you give it text and you give it a query and it's going to come back and uh, find what else it can find that is similar and give it back, right? So mm-hmm. the veracity is not going to be something that you can make a important decision based on this. Yes. You know, Pamela, what blows my mind is is that they're creating a tool to, that can be potentially so beneficial. But, I mean, there must have been a business decision made somewhere about the fact that, oh, well, we just want the most data possible and we won't care about how accurate it is. I mean, surely the business folks that were discussing this had to realize that there is a lot of, of just not accurate data that's available online. I mean, look at all the test data that people make up and that ends up out there. And and I know I've been salting the internet 
since around 1994 with uh, fake information about me as I've been doing experiments and so on. So, you know, I'm at it. My ages vary from being in my mid-20s to being over 120. And so all of that data might now come back to haunt me if if algorithms are trying to find data. Uh, about me, right? And maybe that's why. But I know what you, this has to do with your trust and your ethics pillars. I think Pamela about how how do you how do business leaders should they make these decisions about what data they should even be using? Right. So the thing is, the way these large language models work, you know, they are feeding on data that is existing out there right Mm -hmm. and anything that you you put in now as a query if you look at the privacy policy rebecca for open ai you are going to be cringing because it is it's 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 not pretty from my perspective as a risk professional because what are they saying anything you put in we can use we can give it to our our third-party providers we can use it you know if you put in any pi we encourage you not to but whatever you put in, um, you know, it's it's like uh, uh, use at your own risk, right? This, so they're being clear about it. But the bottom line is, for example, Amazon found that there some of their source code that looked uh, frighteningly close to some of their code uh, for mm-hmm. internal systems. Uh, they found evidence of that in. Uh, you know, some of the queries that they did on OpenG, uh, this chat GPT. And how could that be? Well, some of the programmers in Amazon may have been uh, putting in their code to see if there was any uh, whatever for whatever reason. And um, now it's part of chat GPT, right? Yes. Oh, that, and, and that's so scary. You know, Pamela, I'm sorry to interrupt you here, but I, I want mm-hmm. the listeners to, to realize that I've seen out on LinkedIn groups where people say, oh, I'm debugging my code for this system that that is a financial system or that is a, you know, some other critical business system. They said, yeah, I put the code in there to see if it would find this one thing that I changed just to see how um, good it was at debugging. And, and I almost, you know, I thought, why did they do that? Because to your point now... That code is part of their system, right? Right. Their database. Ugh. Well, just... and then if you look at it, um, what you know, GitHub. Who's not using GitHub, right? It, exactly. Yeah. And then if you go and troll GitHub and get all of that, um, whatever is publicly available, and most of it is publicly available. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just did. Um, Anyway, but yeah, most of it is publicly available. Uh, you need to do it, uh, make it publicly available for um, either if you're working with some company, you know, and, you know, it's um, it's a proof of concept, let's say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but however, it's still your intellectual property, right? Yes. Going back to your point earlier. That's one issue that is um, problematic, right? It, anything you have out there now, it can be just sucked in into a system such as that. But it, there, there are so many others, right? We won't go into all of them. But I think it is important to just end with one thing, on at least on the chat GPT um, section of it, yeah. which is 
you were asking, you know, did somebody think about it? You know, no, because have you seen enough? And I've seen, I personally have seen enough in uh, business contexts where I'll be working with a team and they'll say, well, we just want to do a POC, okay? Mm-hmm. And what, what we don't need too many security controls. We don't need any risk mitigation or governance because this is just a POC. But if well, a POC is successful, then guess what, <laughs> right? Yeah. And Pamela, just for my listeners who might not know POC, it's proof of concept for those of you listening who don't know what that means. So go ahead, Pamela. I just wanted to throw that in there. <laughs> yeah. So POC or now like a minimal uh, viable product, you know, yes. whatever, you know, the, you know, I, I say, <laughs> you know, I say Apple, you say it, no, Apple, you know, whatever, I, whatever the term is. But it's, it's a um, question of if something is so much fun is is like um, is getting gaining so much traction is g- delivering on beyond what the value was and the uh, outset yeah um, then you know nobody has it would not make sense to kind of pull it back right I mean I get it like I'm an entrepreneur myself right if something Mm-hmm. Is so, uh, so up for my. I would say then just to rein that back though. Don't put something out which is has not been successfully um, tested in the scenarios in the context mm-hmm. that would be it would be could be used in. And in this case, you know, if you go to your go to your dentist or you go to the guy who's coming to. Uh, uh, you know, the exterminator coming to your house to fix, you know, put in some rat, you know, whatever. I hope there are no animal activists listening to <laughs> <laughs> But it, it's so widespread. ChatGPT, it's hard to put that bottle back into a genie uh, yes. back into that bottle, you know. Yeah, and, you know, talking about the algorithm, so that's the other issue. I mean, I started my career as a systems engineer, Mm-hmm. Uh, doing what I, I had to do, secure coding. I had to have that code tested just excruciatingly thoroughly before it was ever allowed to put into production. And when I see these AI algorithms, how are they testing those? I mean, it sounds like from you know what we've been talking about, the test is like you're saying. It's just, it's not, it's a test in production. It's not like they're trying to do it behind uh, a firewall or, you know, in a very controlled environment? Or am I completely wrong there, Pamela? No, I I think you are uh, spot on. And the problem is, though, there, uh, you know, the the window of opportunity for making this right is, I would say, is in the past already because they've already trained it. And it takes... Mm -hmm so much compute power and so much compute to train a large language model that only uh, these tech giants can do it. And there are there are some coming out, like there's Jurassic, there's, you know, Jurassic 2, there are, you know, a lot of the ones coming out. And I think, um, honestly, a more controlled environment where you have a more uh, control on the data and the data lineage and what is a special purpose uh, LLM is of a much better, um, will have much better consequences and trust in that system as opposed to something that is trained on 
open source data, I mean, uh, open, um, you know, scrape data, for example, and to take that and then use that for training, it's it's a recipe for a lot of damage that can be done. So, but if you look at, you know, Statista, for example, of how many businesses yeah. are actually starting to use ChatGPT, um, it's... It's a um, very, very impressive number. It's yeah. highly, very large number, okay? And so the, I think it really is a question of what do we do if we are going to use this? How do we use it securely? And how do we put the right guardrails in? Because, you know, by the time the regulators have something, it may be a bit too late. And, and and I, you know, I I kind of feel sorry for regulators right now because there's just, so you know, much. this is not the area of expertise and now you have to go catch up and it's a complex area. You know, how do you even do that? But I will tell you one thing, uh, you know, I want to just say one thing before I um, uh, conclude here, which is something I just posted actually on LinkedIn too, Rebecca, and mm-hmm. that talks about this is a use case, okay, on an actual example that we did, mm-hmm. which is, um, for again, for AI, for what is failing, what can go wrong, and how AI cannot be just used by the good guys, but by the bad guys as well. Mm-hmm. All right. And uh, so this example is extremely important uh, and uh, interesting, <laughs> which mm-hmm. is voice, okay. Ah, yes. Voice is used. You know, let's talk about two things. One is, where all are we leaving a voice trail right now? You know, who is, you know, if you're talking about the the smartphone and you're talking about the home recording, you know, the voice-activated assistance, et cetera, and you're talking about webinars and you're talking about podcasts and you're talking about, um, you know, online, uh, you know, I'm doing online webinars all the time, including for my company, Right. So, and so there's ample, ample videos as well as voice recordings we have online right now. Now, one of the examples I've given, uh, and I think this is very eye-opening, is financial institutions and client uh, call centers, for example, will use voice for authentication. Mm-hmm. And that means that with your voice now you can get access as you know you would with your password for example right let's say you're calling from a such and such number for example okay so they'll have some controls in place but um for the ones that are not that savvy right that's where the risk is going to just increase because um Again, there was a product that was released called Wall E, and it's like Valley E or something, right? It's V A L L E, and what um, that does. Before I tell you what that does, uh, we've taken uh, just like for a proof of concept, so for a you know for sake of illustration, mm-hmm. some time ago, maybe end of um, end of last year, okay, um, taken a and this was a recording of Elon Musk. He had a webinar. It was a TED Talk or something. So it taken that and created, you know, for showing that you could take a voice recording of something on the uh, a video recording, get the audio extracted out of that, 
and use it to train something uh, for example to say this is this is pamela gupta you know calling and i like to get access to you know mm. calling because of for etc etc right so you get the idea right and it took us a week with to train this um asr system for speech recognition system to actually say something that you wanted it to say and this again is for the you know actual the right guys using it for a proof of concept okay we were showing that yes this can be done now it took a week okay to train this and for it to sound and it still sounded a bit robotic so you could tell that it wasn't a perfect um, voice sample all right now what I, what has just come out and there is uh, i can send you some links to the research that is um, that was published sure using this system wally it took them it is um, a speech it's a text to speech firstly system meaning you can write down what you want you can mm-hmm. get the sample of the uh, of the voice that you want to mimic and in 3 seconds rebecca you can create a message which sounds like the person you want to mimic and read out what you have written so for example if i want to say this is pamela gupta and i need access to my bank account all right it takes the the intonation it takes the um emotion takes the you know the exact signature um you know of the voice and yes. is able to recreate that and that is the power of ai so if we we want to do good or we want to do bad it's in the hands of who is using it and deploying it but the question i would say that i'd like to kind of um, conclude with yeah. is um well we're playing with fire we can use it for uh you know the right purpose for increasing and increasing good for all and increasing the faith in humanity increasing the trust in kind of democratizing and using technology to have everybody you know uh, have access to good healthcare and be able to be able you know recognize issues before they happen i mean all that can be done i can give you a list of three medical devices that i have looked at for example mm-hmm. that can be that can actually help you just by looking at the asymmetry in how you walk in in terms of determining that you may be for example prone to um, um multiple sclerosis or or okay. something else for or a heart attack whatever that's a promise that's the beauty of what we can accomplish but we have to kind of go in this with our eyes open because this is not this is not a you know technology that you mess around with you have to take the right steps you have to know the risk and only then we can realize those gains well not only knowing the risk but knowing how to validate it right knowing how to validate yeah. the accuracy of the output yes absolutely and i think that's something that's missing from what i see organizations that are at least that are being reported for using this type of tech i never see them talk about validating that something is working before they're say oh we just started using this and it's going to save so much time but you know you have a very good point about the elon musk voice 
Can you imagine if um, voice recognition was being used for systems where he might say, oh, well, I, I think that uh, Rebecca Harold and Pamela Gupta had a great show, so I'm going to gift them X number of dollars so they can in- expand their research in this area. Uh, can you imagine if that was at the bank that he uses or whatever? I mean, can you imagine the fraud that could go on? There's so many, like you said, um, use cases, but uh, gosh, yeah, you you gave me so many different things to think about. I know you did with the the our listeners too. Do you have maybe you gave us a good summary before, but do you have maybe one primary takeaway that you want our listeners to to leave the show with today? Yeah, I think I would just end with a couple of things that kind of summarize what I just said. A couple of things, which is. A, we, these are AI systems are highly, highly capable and impactful, and it is like playing like uh, with uh, very akin to playing with fire because if we don't use them right, we don't know where that risk is coming from, whether it's a cybersecurity risk or the privacy risk. Um, we can do so much harm, and instead of and what we want is good. So how do we trust these systems? It is that is I'm not saying that because I have a company called Trusted AI, right? Mm-hmm. That the reason I have a company called Trusted AI is because that's what we this is what the need of the hour was. And one thing that I do want to say is even when we talk about traditional cybersecurity, remember I was saying that's not enough to secure AI. When we're talking about um, you know, tr- traditionally, even cybersecurity experts, when they're talking about data security, uh, they will talk about data security when it comes to cybersecurity for AI. But security for threat modeling for artificial intelligence, when it comes to cy- uh, cybersecurity or security, goes beyond just data poisoning or that can uh, data perturbation, perturbation can come, even yeah. a slight minuscule um change in the data, for example, would not be visible, for example, uh, visible to the human being, whether it's a numeric or an image or voice, but um, the machine would have a different uh, interpretation of it and can cause so much harm. But that's just data uh, poisoning still. There are so many other elements to, for example, you can take the model, you can figure out um, in the wrong hands, it can be used for doing things that you are not setting it out to do. And if you put the right things in place, the right guardrails, which God knows is not easy because it is not as simple as just doing um, secure coding, for example, or obfuscating privacy data, right? Because it can put two and two together and come to 10. Exactly. And, and, you know, I'm going to put in the link, um, for our show description where our listeners can go to get more information about this because we're all already uh, at the end of our show here. So thank you so much for being my guest today, Pamela. Thank you so much for having me. And today I've been speaking with Pamela Gupta, CEO of Trusted AI and an AI expert about AI, security, privacy, and a whole wide range of other topics. I really hope you found the information interesting and useful I know I did. Did we pique your interest? Do you have additional questions you'd like 
to hear me or perhaps a guest on my show answer about this or some other topic, just send them in. I love getting your questions. I may cover them in an up upcoming episode or the monthly tips or blog post or even an upcoming book. You can always contact me using Rebecca Harold at RebeccaHerald.com. All my uh, shows are available on recordings and you can listen to them at any time until our next show. Ask those you do business with and work for if they are doing all they can to secure the information you've entrusted to them, including following not only secure coding practices, but also establishing guardrails, as Pamela talked about, for those algorithms and knowing that the data that they're using is good to train those algorithms with. Be privacy aware in the month ahead. Bye for now. Thank you for tuning in this week. Data security and privacy with the Privacy Professor can be heard live the first Saturday of each month at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Until next time, stay safe.